Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Well, you've probably noticed that we are not having two episodes this week. It is a holiday week in the U.S., and I know that not everyone that listens to this podcast is here in the U.S., but because it's a holiday week for me, maybe I'm being a little selfish, but it's also the busiest week for online retailers. Made the executive decision, just give you one episode. But also, I feel like there's been, I think we're at 147 episodes or something like that. So I figured if you're really missing out on a second episode this week, there are plenty of other episodes that the content is still very fresh and relevant. And I welcome you to go back. I know a lot of people do. And sometimes I'll get messages about an episode I did a year ago. And I'm like, oh, I'm glad that helped. But anyway, I, you know, the other reason I decided to just do one episode and to do this specific episode is it's just been a long few weeks for most fraud fighters. I talked to a lot of you and I think we're all just exhausted. It's been a long couple of years, let's be clear, but specifically in the last like three, four weeks, whether it's been the news or the impact of massive layoffs in tech or the overwhelming amount of fraud volume and new tactics that different companies are seeing. If you're following the crash of crypto exchange FTX or the dismantling of the trust and safety team at Twitter, I've been exhausted from those two things. Maybe it's just me. Or if you're a fraud fighter in online retail, and like I said, you're currently dealing with the busiest week for sales and it's with a side of fraud. It's just been a lot for a lot of people. So on this holiday weekend here, and it's really the unofficial start of the holiday season, I wanted to give you a fun, lighthearted episode. I try to talk about fraud in a fun way because to me, it's fun. To me, it's my passion. And I know that some of you listen because you're in this industry in a supporting role, whether it be in consulting or sales for a solution provider or marketing or technology or something like that. But there's a lot of people that listen because you love fraud as much as I do, or I almost want to say almost as much as I do, but I don't know how we'd measure that. And we are often so analytical and precise and literal that wouldn't work. But I, before I go into this fun episode where really I asked a lot of you via LinkedIn to answer the question, you might be a fraud fighter if dot, dot, dot. There are some really funny ones. I do have to say, I'm really disappointed. I've just been like the last hour looking through all of my most recent spiral notebooks because that's how I process information is take notes on everything. And I may not look back on them, but it just helps me remember. I just went through like about five spiral notebooks trying to find this darn, I did three pages of you might be a fraud fighter if over the course of a couple of days. And I don't know. I'm very disorganized right now and frustrated. But luckily, you guys gave so many ones. And I know I added a few on my list on this doc. And then also, I'll probably add a few as I go along. But I'm just like, oh, man, I knew there were some good ones in there. But there are some really good ones in this list. Before I do that, I wanted to provide one current fraud-related note. I feel like I have my housekeeping voice on like when I do merchant collaboration calls. but Or if I'm doing like a commercial or something. But 
If you're a retailer that sells physical goods and you've recently been seeing an uptick in orders with shipping addresses with small address manipulations. So some examples would be if the street that the fraudster wants the package to go to is 123 Main Street, but they know that most fraud solutions, if you just put in 123 Main Street and then the same city and zip code, those fraud solutions are going to link them together through link analysis. And they're also, depending on the setup of your process, if it provides, looks up any third-party data or consortium data, it's going to look up who lives at that address, and it has a much greater chance of being fraudy. So instead, it's a simple, but it's a difficult, it really depends, but it's a simple but challenging issue that's being caused for merchants in every area of retail. I've literally never seen anything like this, and I'm not saying it to be hyperbolic. It's just, it's insane. Whether that retailer sells high-end or low-end items, whether they are in shoes or luxury goods or electronics or or a big box store or department store or thing in between selling food. I mean, all of those are just being hit by the exact same fraud ring right now. And, you know, I talked a tiny bit about this a couple of weeks ago as it was related to ATOs. And I do believe that's how it started. I have reason to believe they're all connected. But now it's really going with new accounts. Sometimes people call it zero day, but for me, zero day is from cybersecurity. So I always just call it new account fraud or guest checkout is very common. So here's a couple of examples. They'll try to trick it so that when the carrier or the shipping carrier is delivering the package, they can decipher what the address is in and all the packages go to the same address. But they are trying to trip up many, especially rules engines, but just different types of fraud solutions. And it's working in some cases. So here's one example. If the address was 123 Main Street, where they were trying to get all the goods to ship, then it might be entered into your site for the shipping address as 123Z Main Street, A123 Main Street, 123MAAIN Street. Adding extra letters, they also might have non-English characters. That There might be like a Greek A that kind of looks like an A. The carrier knows where to put it, but your system thinks that's a whole new address. Like I said, it, I one of the interesting benefits of this has actually been me being able to see just from this 10,000 foot view and getting to talk to so many companies that are seeing this, how different fraud providers can be. And they're not always equal. I've been saying that for years, but there is nothing so clear as when the exact same fraud is attacking every single company and every company has different setups. They have different types of leadership, different types of team structure. I'm anecdotally noticing all these things, but I think I've talked to a fair amount of companies at each core provider, as well as just looking at different systems that they have upstream or downstream that are helping them fight them. But this week, I actually held a call for all the retailers that are on my biweekly group, as well as a few others that I've been talking to about this. We had, I only gave them like 24 hours notice because that was a time that worked for most people. And we had over 25 of the biggest retailers in the U.S. join and share information. And I can't say how magical it was. Like, I just, I can't overstate that. I am such a dork. I love it when fraud writers get together and are like, oh yeah, we're seeing that too. And we identified this piece and that piece. It's like watching a bunch of people put puzzle pieces together, people that may not know each other, but they're all have a common goal. One of the many reasons why I switched from being on the ground or on the front lines to being what I like to refer to as air support or on the sideline, I get to kind of see those patterns too. And and over the last couple of weeks, I'm like, wait a second, there's a through line here. And then collecting any extra detail that people get. And there were a lot of puzzle pieces put together on that call, as well as in my own research. 
reaching out to some very intelligent humans. And so anyway, I am, as I'm recording this, I'm in the process of creating it, but I will have a document with the MO on it and some of the characteristics. I am choosing not to make that public on the podcast or on LinkedIn, which is going to be a little extra work for myself. Thankfully, I have an awesome assistant these days. And I think I'm going to have you guys reach out to her on the info at chargelyticsconsulting.com. And if you can use the subject line retail fraud info, that would really help her be able to sort it. But I want to be able to provide you if you are a merchant, remember, I'm trying to just keep this to merchants, there's reasons for it. But I, I also yeah, I'm not going to go into that, but I just, I feel like it's important to give this to merchants as they're the ones who need this data the most. I may have additional information that can help you identify these orders and prevent more losses. And I've also been in touch with very high level senior leadership in two U.S. federal agencies, law enforcement agencies to talk about getting a case together. I am estimating it's hundreds of millions of dollars of attempts. And they are all connected to each other and they are in the same crime ring and the same fraud organization. And we have a lot of data to back that up without me seeing any PII or hearing any PII, because that's like a big rule in my collab calls, because I don't want to be liable for it. But there are so many other things that you can learn about as far as the patterns go without any personal identifying information. That was a little bit of a longer announcement than I meant for it to be, but I just want to make sure I'm helping as many people as possible without making this public. And it's a kind of a weird tightrope I have to walk. I am kind of, I've done all of this just out of the goodness of my heart and not being compensated for it by any means, but at least for merchants, I mean, are a select couple of vendors who have reached out and said, Hey, we'd really love your help on this. And I can provide a little bit of what I learned from the merchants as well as what I've just learned by studying this and talking to people and stuff. But as far as helping more, I just, it doesn't matter. I just want to help. That's the fraud fighter in me. And you guys know that it's, I don't know. I, I, to me, I don't think that there's, maybe I'm getting started on you might be a fraud fighter if, but I just don't think that there's such thing as an acceptable level of loss. I understand the concept. I understand why. And I certainly have had to set those. And I get it, right? Because if you always want to have $0 of fraud, then you're going to have a lot of false positives and a lot of good orders or good customers or good banking customers not be able to uh, use your service or be declined. And that then hits your bottom line. So I know there needs to be a balance, but as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there's a penny of fraud being lost. It's too much. And I think a lot of you can relate. And so that's where I might not be in the queue or I may not be managing a team anymore, but I'm going to help as much as I can. So that is that. Again, it's info at chargelyticsconsulting.com. I'll try to remember to put the email in the show notes of the show description. And then if you could remember to use the subject retail fraud info, that will help my assistant be able to sort them and send them out soon. I would say, I mean, probably after the holiday, but we'll get it to you as soon as possible. I know that time is of the essence. And these guys are definitely capitalizing on the holidays as well as the economy being low. And if you listened to my holiday prep episode, I had this very strong feeling that triangulation was going to be the thing. And unfortunately, this is a form of triangulation, but it's actually a little bit of a manipulated version of triangulation. Anyway, you might be a fraud fighter if you nerd out about MOs all the time. How about that? I'm just making them up now, but I'm going to read these off because I thought they were fun. And one thing about being on the sidelines is I get to know so many awesome fraud fighters for all different companies, right? Some are insurance, some are in investment companies, some are in 
banks, some are in fintech, some are obviously, I know a lot of e-commerce and marketplace because that's kind of where I, where my happy place is as far as where I feel like I know the most about it. And, but there's definitely common threads and common characteristics, whether it's our insatiable curiosity and tenacity and ability to want to solve problems and, and just keep going and pulling the thread until you find something, or it's our sense of justice very strong sense of justice. There's just things that I've noticed over the years. But when I put this question out, it was so funny because there were several that were given more than once. I had to take out the duplicates and I tried to put them in categories just so they weren't all over the place. So here's the first category was like character traits, right? Like you might be a front fighter if you are this way. If you overthink everything in your life, analysis is king. I then added analysis paralysis is a real thing. Like I, yeah. I definitely can relate to overthinking everything, but it's the analyzing, right? We're analyzing every detail. We're looking at the different layers. We don't take anything at face value. And I think that's coming up in a couple of minutes or in a couple of these two. So you unconsciously remember the most benign details, even in your everyday life, especially numbers and letters, the fine print, the license plate holder on the car in front of you. You remember the phone numbers on the billboards that you pass every day all without consciously memorizing them. I guess I'd add, gosh, I remember I'd be able to just look through a spreadsheet pretty quickly and be able to identify the anomalies like just without even consciously doing it. And I know that so many of you still have that trait. That muscle of my brain has just been out of practice for almost a decade. You almost miss out on winning a real contest for money because you forgot you entered and thought the envelope and information looked suspicious. I feel like that's like a real thing. I'm like, who actually has, I would say, I, I don't really enter contests because I know that my information is going to be given out and who knows how careful they are with that data. And I know all that can be done with a uh, name, address, phone number, email, etc. So I actually don't enter contests, but I thought that was funny. It must have been like a, a true story, right? Where somebody entered a contest, they forgot they entered and they got an envelope with information that looked suspicious and there was real money inside. Well, congratulations to you. That's awesome. I know that one of the ones I wrote down is you might be a fraud fighter if you, when you get junk mail, you tear off the address information before putting everything in recycling. I do that and it, my husband just rolls his eyes, but I'm like, you don't understand what people can do with just your address and all the information on an envelope. I also try to shred it, all bills and stuff like that. But that's actually something that I learned from my former podcast partner, Brett Johnson, was just even getting someone's junk mail can get you started. And then that's all you really need to be able to look them up in a TLO or been verified or whatever system a fraudster is using. And there are definitely a lot of identity thieves out there that steal mail and just get that information. And then they have either they themselves or they know somebody who knows how to look them up in systems. This is very US centric because unfortunately our data is everywhere, but it's something I'm very conscious of. And I'm sure a lot of you are as well. If you're not me, you are now, but I literally, anytime we get a magazine, anytime we get junk mail, it's habit. And I don't, it doesn't take me more than half a second, but I just tear out the address and then I'll either rip it into the little pieces and put it in the garbage because the garbage is much less likely to be gone through the way our county trash is, or I put it in the shredder depending on the size of it. All right. Here's another one from one of you. You suspect one. I think it's true for the most part. I think, again, we're looking for that hidden agenda, right? We're always looking for the motive in everything. I often tell clients of mine that are trying to understand fraud fighters that we are looking at a pretty limited set of data and trying to determine someone's motives and what they 
what their intentions were when they ordered something online or when they opened a bank account. So if we are good at that, we're going to be looking for the hidden motives and putting these little tiny pieces together and everything. It's so funny when I have conversations with my fraud friends because we get into analyzing like exactly how did they say that? What were they when we were trying to give advice because we need to know all the details. It would drive anyone else bananas, I'm sure. Another one, if you get excited when scammers call your phone, that's not something I get excited about. I just don't answer a call if I don't recognize the phone number, which is probably not always been a good thing, but just had to do that. But I know there are a lot of you that really like to mess with them. And that's totally, I just, I can't, I'm, I don't know. I don't have it in me. I don't want to deal with them. I'd rather just have them get my voicemail. Another one, if every time you see a new app or product, you think, how can that be ripped off? Oh my gosh, I do this all the time, especially after working with so many merchants. I love new business models because I can usually pretty quickly go, okay, well, this is how they're going to get attacked. And it's helped me a lot in my consulting when companies get started or start to launch an e-commerce website and they know that they need to care about fraud, they'll reach out. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's, oh, we've been in business for six months or we've had this website in the US for six months and now we're getting charged back. Either way, I am constantly, it's just a fun game. I think a lot of us do it. Someone else, this is very specific to this person, I think, and I don't actually remember who did it because I copied and pasted all of these. But if you regularly tell people you are filled with despair while grinning maniacally, if you have an odd admiration for the clever criminals when they think of a particularly inventive way to steal from you and you get annoyed when it's too easy to catch. I will say that that has been, you know, this new retail fraud scam that I mentioned. That's a way a lot of us have been feeling is so simple, but at the same time, it's so infuriating. I would add another one that when you learn about new data verification providers, I often say that I'm excited as a fraud fighter and terrified as a consumer. Same kind of thing, right? It's we have admiration for how easy things are, but then also you realize, oh, okay, it's good, but it's bad. You have a t-shirt that says fraud fighter somewhere in your wardrobe. That, I have my What the Fraud shirt from my previous podcast and another one from like over 10 years ago that has two different computers on it, like an angel and a devil. And then on the back, it says virtual crime fighter. When I first got that, my husband was like, I am not going anywhere in public with you anywhere. But at least for his sake, I will not ever wear my What the Fraud t-shirt in public because it also has a cartoon version of my face along with my former podcast co-host. So <laughs> I'm not wearing a t-shirt with my face on it anywhere in public. I, yeah, but I save a couple because they're fun. But I know that that is one thing I think we need a lot more t-shirts in this industry. But another person said, your workers have gotten used to, I told my, your, I told you face. There is a fraud fighter that's been texting me today about that, actually getting really frustrated because they warned other parts of their company that something was going to happen. We don't like being right all the time. One of my clients once called me the fraud psychic and I was like, no, I just know cause and effect. And I know exactly if you put that in place, this is where they're going to go. And I know that if you change this up front in the order flow, then this is what's going to happen to your chargeback. I've just been doing this a long time so I can guess. And it's the same with you guys, right? Like within your companies, you can guess if another team says, oh, we're going to do this or, oh, we added this. You can tell them what's going to happen. But unfortunately, they don't like the answers. Listen, this one was mine because I it drives me crazy. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I know I'm not the only one. If you die a little inside every time you hear someone say, my account got hacked. Because that's not what hacking means. It's called account takeover. 
hacking is when you hack a database of a company to get their information. Okay, rant over. I do understand we can't help what, you know, term consumers and everyday person use. I mean, it's too bad that they know this, but in our world, it's account takeover. I try to switch those words depending on the audience, but it still drives me nuts. When somebody introduces you to a friend saying that you're a fraud specialist and you need to explain that you're on the right side, preventing, not committing, LOL. A couple of times I've said, oh, I'm in fraud. And then kind of get this like confused look. I'm like, prevention, <laughs> fraud prevention. And then I want to ask them, has anyone ever told you that they commit fraud like for a living? Is that like at a dinner party or we meet a new friend? Because I'm very curious about that. Why would you think I would say that if that was what I was doing? This is what I was mentioning before. So you are always looking for the motive or hidden agenda in everything. And again, it's because you have a limited amount of data and you're trying to figure out that person's intention. And thankfully, we have a lot more data than we used to. We get really good at it over and over again. And we realize, oh, there's always something behind the surface. There's always a hidden agenda or a motive. And we want to know that. Whether it's that compliment from your coworker, the Michelin star steak dinner, courtesy of a vendor, being reported in the news. I don't remember if I mentioned this not, but I, when I interviewed Jared Price at Incom, when he and I were having a conversation either before or after the recording, I think that was like a four hour conversation where we recorded an hour and a half. He was saying that he really felt like there needed to be more fraud fighters in politics because we look behind the scenes, right? Who's funding you? What lobby is donating to you? What, why are you voting that way? What is? What are your real intentions? Why do you want us to vote this way? I was like, go for it, dude, because I'm not. But I thought he made a pretty good point. <laughs> okay, somebody else said, when you look forward to Black Friday, Singles Day, or Prime Day for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> this person must really like the hunt and looking for fraud because that's usually what happens on those days. <laughs> Here's another one that's very specific, but I think a few of us can, I certainly can relate to this. When your WhatsApp group are full of anti-fraud collaboration, like law enforcement and payment professionals. While your telegram groups are guaranteed returns in crypto, <laughs> or for me, it's retail refund fraud claim or claim fraud or carding fraud groups. I've learned all kinds of terms like what sauce means in postings and I don't know, all kinds of stuff like that. Sauce is like the secret sauce when they're selling a method. There's a bunch of them, but I'm just blanking at the moment. But yeah, I thought it was kind of funny because it's true. My WhatsApp groups are full of different anti-fraud, either collaboration groups or fraud fighters that are mostly international or a mix of U.S. and international. And then, yep, all my Telegram groups are nothing but observing the fraudsters, or more or less. And then sometimes I just look it up for fun when I'm bored and start sending screenshots to people like, hey, just wanted you to know that your company's on Telegram. Nobody asked me to do that. That's like what I do in my free time or like when I'm walking the dog. I'm, I don't know, I think I'm like the chief nerd officer or something like that. I don't know, it's slightly embarrassing now. It's becoming like a confessional of how nerdy I am. But if you've listened to even one episode, you already knew that. When, okay, so going, moving on, and these two are a little bit more, your job doesn't feel like a J-O-B, but a calling. I think it's a passion and we get the paycheck as a bonus. I think a lot of us feel that way. I look at a lot of the like armchair detectives or keyboard detectives, whether it's in pop culture or the crypto takedown and all those things. And these people who just love to dive into the research and look for things on social media just for fun. And I think, oh my gosh, I get to do that for a living. And so do so many other people. And I bet if those people knew that this tree existed, they'd be over here in a heartbeat because they're very good at it. 
they'd be very good investigators, especially with right, open source intelligence. But sometimes I'm like, wow, I, I think a lot of us feel lucky because we all did not know that this was a career or an industry before we got into the job world. I think it's changing a tad bit, but not that much. Here's another one. When all your hard work and analysis leads you to successfully identifying and stopping a fraudster, you feel like a kid at Christmas doing a little victory dance for protecting your customers and your company. I used to call that the fraud high. I don't know. I think that this person explained it so much better, but it, that really is so rewarding when you identify something like that. And for me, it's different. I'm 10 steps back or 10 feet up or whatever, but it's still so rewarding for me getting those retailers together and figuring out, oh, this person over here noticed this and this person over here noticed that. And when everybody looks it up, they're like, oh yeah, sure enough, that's the same. And that's huge. And it's very exciting. And it kind of satisfies that you know, sense of justice and that curiosity. And it's the payoff, right? It's the payoff of the search, the payoff of a lot of hard work of putting in processes and the right technology for your type of fraud and everything else. So it's the payoff. So here's another section. I'm telling you guys, I got like, I don't know, over 60 into this, but I hope you find this fun and that you can totally relate. And I can just see some of you being like, pausing it and like telling your significant other oh my gosh <laughs> i might be a fraud fighter if you think i do that i actually did that with my husband today like oh i don't think i'm a fraud fighter then because none of these are true he's looking at me like every one of them <laughs> crazy lady okay so this one is social media i think a lot of us had or a few people had a few things to say about it the first one is you cringe so you might be a fraud fighter if you cringe when you see the polls on facebook that ask what was your first car those aren't as common as they used to be, but I remember back in 2008 when I was still a fraud analyst, I remember that GoverCard was the first issuing bank or bank to ask any additional questions beyond or extra questions beyond mother's maiden name and date of birth. And so they came up with questions, right? What was the make of your first car? What was the name of your elementary school? What was the name of your first pet? It didn't take long at all. I think it was days that all of those questions were mixed in with a couple others and sent out as Facebook surveys and people were posting them like crazy and they all had their Facebooks on public. And those of us there in fraud, and we were a much smaller industry then and didn't know each other as much, but I know everyone in my department, my team at the company I worked at the time were just like, why? And as consumers, if you're not in fraud, you're never, you would never think of that. Oh, a bank must have come up with questions and that's why these are in the survey. No, but it's sure easy for people who want to take over your bank account or access it or transfer all the money out to look you up on Facebook, see if you've answered one of those surveys, because then there were all these variations for years that often had a lot of those mixed in. And yeah, look them up, call the bank, roll the dice, hope that they ask a question on one of those surveys. It's frustrating. And honestly, the newer version of it, don't even get me started on those new surveys. What Game of Thrones character are you? Or what does your name really mean? Or like what weather is your, I don't know, whatever they are, there's so many. But a lot of those you have to download something or connect something to an app, so to speak, or a different extension from outside of Facebook or from a developer outside of Facebook that those really haven't gone through any security protocols. And I don't believe so. If they have, they might be cybersecurity secure, but you're giving, whenever you download one of those surveys, you're giving a lot of access to whoever created the survey. It's either a random company or a person, and it's often all your contacts. And sometimes it's even more than that, pictures and everything else. Anytime I see that, I probably can secretly judge a few of my friends and family that do it. And yes, I could be that person that continually posts 
don't do this, don't do that. But I also barely ever on Facebook anymore. So that's part of it. But I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm screaming into the void. So it's hard. I don't know. I need to find the balance of that because I also want to make sure that I am educating consumers. So I'm sure a lot of us have that conundrum where I don't want to preach all the time and be the person that's like, well, want, well, want, because that's just all they're going to hear, right? Is like the teacher and Charlie Brown. But then again, you also don't want them to get scammed and then feel guilty because you didn't tell them about that specific one. And these days there's 4,700 scams. So I, yeah, it's overwhelming. Back to the list. You might be a fraud fighter if you immediately block all ads on Facebook or IG, or you at least don't click on the link in the ad. Like if I see something in an ad on social media or YouTube or something else like that, that I'm like, huh, I'm interested in that. I will go Google it, make sure that it is legit, find out what kind of company is it. Are they selling their own product? Are they reselling something else? I also look at the name of the company on the account, like on the Instagram or Facebook account, and then also the URL for the company. So the top of the ad and then the bottom of the ad, you might be surprised how many times they'll just don't match. Or the URL is very wonky, like it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for what's being sold or it's nonsensical words or letters put together. So that to me is very important because oftentimes you can click the link in the ad and then go out to a phishing site or malware or, you know, a triangulation website, etc. I know that other people will not click on the ads because they don't want the social media company to make any money off of them. But that's, I don't know. That's a little bit different than from a fraud fighter angle. You go, do deep dives on any website before thinking of making a purchase. Oh my goodness. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode.
I, I do have an outline for an upcoming solo episode on tips that I give consumers or that I think we can give consumers in different situations. One of them, I think we've all had this where a friend or a family member, I mean, like a distance, like high school friend that you barely know. At least for me, this has happened more than once. Even like a high school friend's wife once reached out to me and it was wrong. Hey, this website looks suspicious. Can you like do your thing and find out? All I do is put it in whois.com and look at the domain and how long has that website been up? And then I kind of just Google it and see if there's reviews or anything like that. It's not rocket science, but I do that. And if it's new and they've been selling, they're selling a whole bunch of brand name athletic equipment or very expensive coffee makers, it's like, we shouldn't do that. But at the same time, like most of the time when they're like, "Uh, this this website shady? Yes, it is. Believe your guts. All right. You might be a fighter if you do deep dives. Oh, I already did that one. Sorry, guys. Oh, you roll your eyes at scammy website names. So that goes together. Yep. You always go to the company's main URL rather than clicking links, whether it's in your email or social media. And you scrutinize this is mine too. You scrutinize every app in an app store from looking at how many downloads it has to the developer name and especially review all of the permissions for access to your data. It is insane. There was a coffee shop or a coffee chain. I almost want to say which one it wasn't only because my husband works for one of them. It wasn't that one. But there was a large coffee chain that had so many permissions on it. It was insane. It was like everywhere you went, like your geolocation. And there was actually there were actually two coffee chains that did this, one in the US, one in a different country, uh, until that country changed their rules. But anytime you would walk into a competitor, because they literally mapped out the longitude and latitude of every single location of a competitor, they would send you a push notification of a coupon to go to their coffee shop. They did all this data and everything. They had everything from all the apps you downloaded, all the data, like all the sites you were at, your contact list. I've never seen an app need that much permissions. And that's something that I know a lot of you guys look at, but not everyone does. But again, I'm probably just really showing how nerdy I am. I don't know. Hopefully you're learning something too. I don't know. Or just, you can also silently judge me. It's totally fine. All right. When shopping, you might be a fraud fighter if when you get a decline, you wonder what scoring system they use and what triggered it. Or for me, one time I just emailed the fraud manager on a Saturday and asked them if it was their fraud system and if they could take me off their negative. That's very specific to me. Um, or, you know, merchants that know a lot of it, you know, or, you know, merchants that know a lot of it, if you know a lot of your peers. You look around you before you type in card information on a website or on your phone. When you don't get an FA and multi-factor authentication prompt, you wonder what's up with that. If you change your address or you did this or that, and the or if you're logging into the website from a new location or a new device, why are they not prompting me for multi-factor authentication? Every company has different systems and not all of them have MFA or OTP, one-time passwords or anything like that. And I'm not going to say that's okay, but at the same time, it's there are other ways to do it that are less friction, just as long as there's a way that you're verifying accounts. That's what I think is most important. But I also often scrutinize or I'm like, oh, I'll take a screenshot of that. That merchant did a really good job explaining that or doing that. Oh my gosh, I'm rolling my eyes at myself. Okay, this one was many times, like, I think this one was like six times I had to just consolidate it. So 
you tug and jiggle at the ATM card readers or the readers at a gas pump to check for a skimmer, even if you're not going to use them. But yep, I think we all do that, right? Is there a little extra something on here? Unfortunately, they're getting very good, but those are challenging. Your chip card errors at a POS machine, and then the cashier asks you to swipe your card, and you immediately wonder if the reader was purposely damaged to cause, cause fallback. Then you fear that everyone around you understands the chargeback liability and how quickly they could take advantage. Then you spiral thinking about the potential impact, cancel your transaction, and pay cash. That was not written by me, but I feel some kind of soul connection to that fraud fighter. And again, I actually copy. I don't. I had actually my amazing assistant copy and paste these. So I don't actually know who did what. I thought that would be better. So I didn't give anything away. But I feel that one. Oftentimes I'm like debating in my head. Do I tell the cashier that like that's dangerous and that there's that can open up their company to chargebacks and blah, blah, blah. No, you know what? It's not worth it. I'm just trying to get some groceries. Oh, here's another one. You scan the area of the key part at keypad at ATMs or gas pumps for small holes that could be a camera lens, but still cover the keypad while you enter your pin. That's a little bit related to the skimmers, but there are definitely some situations where there will be like a pinhole camera lens right over where you enter your number installed aftermarket, right? Installed by fraudsters. It'll come back around and pick it up. I that still happens, especially in metro areas. I don't feel like skimmers and all those things happen as much as they used to, but they're still very much a thing. You see people buying gift cards at your local store, at local grocery store with a kiosk, gift card kiosk. They named a merchant and I was like, oh, I need to not say that. And you think to yourself, now what if they got scammed? And then you debate in your head if you should go talk to them and find out. This one is also very specific to this specific fraud fighter. I haven't done this. There might be more than one of you. Uh, you ask your friend who is in law enforcement if they will give you a badge so you can make it look official when you question someone that you know is committing fraud. That's Those people are a little more ballsy than I am. I like to catch fraudsters from behind the computer screen. That's where I'm more, most comfortable. For handling scammers, you might be a fraud fighter if you critique the scam emails you get. This one is obvious. This one is not so obvious. They should have said this. I try to just throw them away, but I know a lot of people do that. If you've ever answered a scam call and said, if you were looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. I can see some of these. There are other people that go along with the scam just for fun or to learn about them. We're not all the same. There's definitely some through lines. When all of the text conversations on your phone are to random numbers, all of whom are about to arrest you for not paying insert grievous offense here or not paying your taxes or your parking tickets or whatever. And obviously, those are all scams. I know a lot of us have been getting the, hi, Julie, do you want to go to golf tonight? You want to go stay? just so that somebody writes back and says, oh, sorry, wrong number. And then they start a conversation. So I just always delete and report or report and block. This is how we are with our friends and family. I think a lot of people are able to relate to this. You might be a fraud fighter if you immediately open source search for dirt on anyone your friends or family have mentioned or causing problems for them. For me, it's often my single friends. I have one friend, bless her heart. She's so amazing. But uh, the guys she's picked in her life have been challenging. So I'm extra protective. I'm kind of, we've known each other for over 20 years. So I'm kind of like her big sister. And there was one time she met this guy and, you know, it was the, it was the perfect story. He's just so amazing. He's separated from his wife. Blah, blah, blah. They're long distance. She and him are long distance. And just a couple of things were adding up. So I, it didn't take me too long, but I looked him up and he was not separated from his wife. He was still living with his wife. And according to his wife, they were very happy, at least 
on her Instagram. So I had to break that to my poor friend and I felt really bad. But at the same time, I would rather her find out now, you know, that he wasn't Mr. Perfect. But I think they've been dating for three months by the time I was like, these things are not adding up. And yeah, it's kind of a downside, but it's also an upside, right? We can protect our friends and family. Other people, it's, I know that some people, when their kids are teenagers and there's, you know, bullies at school, they're open source investigating the parents. I, I haven't done that, but I don't know, maybe I should have. I don't know. Your friends and family hate watching any kind of mystery with you because you'll figure out who did it way before anyone else. And you can't help but be proud of yourself and then spoil the ending. <laughs> maybe it's just me. I posted this on LinkedIn way back when this was back in COVID times when Bridgerton first season was all the rage. And I think it was by episode, I was like not even halfway yet, I guessed who Lady Bridgerton was. And it's, my daughter had already seen it. So she was like, you're never gonna guess, you're never gonna guess. And then I guess I was like, oh, I think it's this person. And she just like looked at me and looked away. And I was like, oh, <laughs> but then she tried to be like, no, no, you're wrong. And then yeah, but anyway, I was kind of proud of myself. Again, that's because we're looking at the motive, right? We're looking at all those little details that most people just, it goes right by them. We've been trained that way. We also often don't believe a lot of things that people say because we're like, we can be cynical sometimes or skeptical, not cynical. You tell your friends and family about new scams or how to protect themselves from other types of fraud, whether they're interested or not. This one's very specific, but I thought it was funny. And this is more for AML, but I know some of you do both or are in AML and listen to Fraudology. When you steal highlighters from your kids' backpacks to mark all the stars you printed, so to mark up all the suspicious activity reports. When your kids are fraud experts, I've been very proud of hearing my daughter give account security and just basic internet safety tips to her friends like since she was 12. Somebody else said, when your young daughter refers to you as a credit card cop, that's cute. My mom used to tell people I caught bad guys on computers. I... I don't know how that works, but especially back like 15 years ago when this really wasn't a thing that most people knew about. That was confusing for a lot of people. If someone falls for a scam, you wonder if you failed them in some way. I have felt that myself. All right. I am almost done. There are two more that were just random. One was when you know that tis the season to be jolly, maybe everything, but when it's good to, too good to be true, it usually ends up being too good to be true. And that's, yeah, we often don't believe a lot because we don't want to fall for things because we know how much fraud and scams there are out there because we see it every day, 40 plus hours a week. And then this one is very specific to me, but I thought it was very sweet. And it was from Frank McKenna. He said, when you have Carice on speed dial to get the real scoop on something new in fraud by a show of hands, how many of you do? And I know that at least Diana Gajic Physic uh, replied that she did too. And I said, both of you are also on my speed dial. That goes two ways. But I think that really, whether it's me or someone else, I think all of us, I hope all of us have made friends in this fraud world and the people that we can call when, hey, have you seen this before? Or what's going on here? Or just to vent, because sometimes there are things that only other fraud fighters will understand, right? No one else in my company is listening to me, or I just had to tell them I told you so. And they're still trying to get me in trouble because they don't want to take the blame or just all those things, right? We can relate to them. I think that's one reason I really enjoy and thankful to be a fraud fighter because I get to know all of you. I mean, you're really awesome humans. 5% of everyone. That's my own opinion, but I'm joking. But I think with every group of people, there's going to be some people you just don't get along with, but I don't know. Fraud people are my people, and I am so thankful that all of you listen to Fraudology. I am in a thankful mood because the way I celebrate Thanksgiving is by really focusing on gratitude. And it's something I try to do every day. I try to 
wake up and think of three things I'm grateful for every day. I don't always do it. I don't always write it down, but that's something I try to do almost daily and it helps me just with my outlook on my life. But this week, especially, I just try to be a little extra grateful. And I am so grateful for all of you that you listen to Fraudology, that Fraudology has grown four times in the last like 10 months. We're, yeah, 400 times bigger than, or 400% bigger than we were before last January. And that I get to know so many of you and that you, you know, interact through messages and things like that. It's just, it's been the coolest thing. I, I've mentioned this many times, but I had no idea what to expect if this was just going to be like five episodes and I'm out or what. So anyway, with that, I know this was a full episode. It was a lot longer than I wanted to, but I hope you found some things to relate to and that you just found it a little bit fun and light because I think we still all need that. A lot of times we're focused on some of the dark stuff. And so we just need a little bit of levity to break things up. But again, if you are a retailer and seeing that specific fraud trend, especially this week, uh, because with it being Black Friday, Cyber Monday, pre-Thanksgiving, all of those different sales that everyone's calling it, if you see it, let me know. I can send out a compilation of a lot of the details that people have reported to me. And also, if you're a retailer, hang in there. The holidays are tough and I, I have the memories to to live by from the times I had to be holidays in retail, but they also can be fun and try to have some camaraderie with your team. All right, guys, with that, I will bring you an interview on next Tuesday and then another solo episode on Thursday. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you again next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.